Hello and welcome to another edition of the Nerdfuss Pet. Ah, fucking hell. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch. I'm Batman. No, I do not. There is no Hello and welcome to another edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today we have... Dan Watkins. Andy Chandler. Peter Johnson. And I'm John Farben. Today it's a quiz special. We have Daniel's low-key or no-key quiz. We have another round of film bus or film plus for you. And we have Peter's memories of the brain quiz, which is hopefully not memories of the film cats. Jellicle quiz. Not going to happen. (laughs) But we shall wait and see. I'm still waiting for Cats to make its resurgence now that cinemas are back open for it to become a room-style cult classic. I heard there was no plague. It was just that they closed the cinemas <laughs> just to get rid of the stench of Cats. It took 18 months to de-stench the projector. So, Daniel, you're back. Yes, my work-life balance veered very much towards one side of that over the past couple of months. Was it life? I wish it was life, but I did at least get the chance to see a couple of what will probably turn out to be my favourite films of the year that made me all summery and happy. So I've discovered that Daniel's a demon. Oh, yes, you did. Yes. The final bit dropped into place when Dan informed us all this morning that he he was left handed, which, as we all know, is the sign of the beast. My granddad used to get his hands beaten as a child for writing with his left hand. So, popular characters who are left-handed. Chewbacca, Bart Simpson, and Mobius M. Mobius from Loki. All left-handed. All demons. Is that all of them? (laughs) I've got some more evidence if you would like, Daniel. Go on. You spend most of your waking days in a medieval castle. (laughs) Your favourite fictional character, Harry Potter. He's a wizard. Bit of empathy there. You spent the last year trapped in a strange foreign backwards country because a woman with confusing powers told you you weren't allowed to leave. (laughs) And you've avoided the plague. Hang on, did you just describe Scotland as a confusing backward country? I believe he did. Um, It's just as as well there's no Edinburgh Fringe this year. I would like to apologise once again to the Scotch. (laughs) Right. Somebody is not getting invited to the Jurassic Park cocktail bar with me. There's a Jurassic Park cocktail bar. Yes, did you not see my several messages about it this morning? No, I, I, I missed this. Do you put your cocktail on the table and it like shakes as the dinosaurs <laughs> approach? Clearly you didn't see my Instagram video from this lunchtime either. I did not. <laughs> uh, yes, it's called Extinction by the cocktail geeks who have previously done Game of Thrones pop-up bars, which John will be familiar with because that was one of our fringe venues. That was very strange, wasn't it? We spent an entire week or two weeks doing a light-hearted comedy show in a cellar surrounded by severed heads. Indeed. Mm. And they've done Walking Dead before, they've done Harry Potter, and now they've got Jurassic Park. We went this lunchtime for some mocktails, and Amy had a clever girl, and I had a When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth, and they were both very tasty. Excellent. Mm. Uh, there is one called Hold On To Your Butts, which is on fire when it arrives at the table. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to visit Edinburgh. Please do. Come and see me. <laughs> Andy, you're going up to Edinburgh in a few weeks, aren't you? We are, yeah. That's uh, our mini honeymoon, um, Hazel and I. And we're staying on the same street as Extinction. And I think we'll be spending a great deal of time there drinking, presumably out of T-Rex skulls. 
Is that how it works? So when they have a, like a special party at Extinction, is it an Extinction event? Hey, oh. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, it's a pop-up bar. Are they going to close it by just dropping a giant meteor on it, like at the end of the fringe? <laughs> They'll slowly lower a cow into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when the raptors eat the cow in the film. Yes, I get that. <laughs> yeah, the, the waiters come at you from the sides, not from the front. <laughs> Do you have to move to get the waiter's attention because the vision's based on movement? You like you've got to wave <laughs> desperately at a, at a waiter to get a drink in a bar. Whatever you do, don't use the toilets. <laughs> That'd be awful. Oh, right, yeah. But wouldn't it be great if you looked up and there was just like teeth? Mm. That'd be very cool. <laughs> Would it? A bit like the Jurassic Park ride at Universal. That's one of my favourite theme park moments. When you get to the top of the log flume and the T-Rex jumps out at you. But they've Jurassic Worlded that as well now. They have. I think it's Chris Pratt who comes at you from the top now Ugh. what with his right wing views <laughs> yeah he's just trying to trophy hunt you, and you go, ah! <laughs> so should we have a quiz we've all been watching loki mm-hmm. on disney plus yep. and some people have been finding some of the weird multiversal multi-timeline things happening in loki so far to be quite weird and strange but What's happening in the series is nothing compared to what the quote-unquote real Loki from Viking mythology got up to. So I've got five short stories of weird and crazy things that Loki has done in Viking times. And I would like you to tell me whether they are Lokis or Nokis. <laughs> Myths or mistakes. Oh. Whether these are real stories or whether I have made up some of the details. I feel like Andy might have an advantage in this quiz. Oh, yeah. With his love of all things Viking. I have read um, a couple of the Eddas, so I should be good at this. Mm-hmm. I've set myself up for a fall now. So, story number one. To avoid death at the hands of a giantess, the gods had to make her laugh. Loki brought in a goat and tied one end of a rope to the goat. The other end of the rope was tied to his own testicles, and he and the goat had a tug of war. When Loki collapsed in pain, the giant laughed and the gods were saved. Is it a Loki or a Noki? Loki. Noki. It sounds familiar, Loki. A point to Andy and a point to John. That happened. (laughs) It took some balls to do that. It did. Uh, Story number two. Loki fell in love with a dwarf who was building a great wall for the gods to keep out more giants. They slept together and the dwarf became pregnant, giving birth to a giant horse. Loki or Noki? I am going to go for Noki there. Because I think that's a slight corruption of something else that I've heard. I was going to go for Loki. I'm going to go for Noki again. That's another point for Andy and a point for Peter. The truth is so much weirder. So it was a giant building the wall and Loki fell in love with the giant stallion. He turned himself into a mare and mated with the stallion. Loki then became pregnant and gave birth to an eight-legged horse called Slepnir. Of course he did. So look forward to that in episode six. (laughs) Story number three. Loki also slept with a giantess who became pregnant and gave birth to three children. One was a giant snake, one was a giant wolf, and one was a woman who was half alive and half dead. Loki or Noki? I'm going to go Loki for that one. I'm going Loki. Loki, yeah. Points for everyone. That's the post credit scene on Disney+. Plus. I thought Richard E. Grant looked like a half-dead, half-alive woman. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. We have actually seen the giant wolf. Uh, it's the one that Hulk fights in Ragnarok. Fenrir. Yeah. And the uh, the snake is Jormungand. Is that the one who gets wrapped around the world? 
Yep, the Midgard Serpent. Story number four. After all of his betrayals, Loki went into hiding, but when Odin and Thor tracked him down, he turned into a salmon and tried to swim away. Thor managed to grab him so tightly by the tail, every salmon now has a narrow tail. Uh, Loki. I've got some salmon in my fridge downstairs that we bought this one. I could go give a check, see if it's got a narrow tail. See if it's got fingerprints. I'm going to go Loki. Loki. That's four for four for Andy, and that's another point for Peter. Sorry, John. That's why salmon have narrow tails, because Thor grabbed Loki too tightly. Mm. Exactly. Why else would they have narrow tails? <laughs> Indeed. No other reason whatsoever. Makes sense when you think about it. And finally, this is season two on Disney+. Plus. Loki once disguised himself as a bride at a fake wedding in order to get Thor's hammer back from a giant who had stolen it. I'm going to go Noki because I think you're getting the Owen Wilson wedding crashers <laughs> mixed up with Loki here. So I'm going to go Noki. Hmm. I'm not sure about this one. It does sound kind of familiar, but I don't know if it's because I've heard that story or I've heard something similar. It's definitely the kind of thing Loki would do. So I'm going to say Loki. I'm going to say Loki as well, because I think you'd have added more detail if you were making it up. The streak is over. John (gasps) gets it right. Uh, (laughs) So, Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, was stolen by a giant, and there was a wedding to try and get it back. The giant would only return the hammer if he could marry Freya. So, Loki dressed up as a bridesmaid, and Thor dressed up as the bride. They got married, and at the dinner after the wedding... Thor asked for a hammer to hallow their union, got the hammer back, and then used it to kill the giant and all the wedding guests. A happy ending. Mm. (laughs) Not for the wedding guests. So however weird you think Loki the series is getting, it ain't nothing compared to the history. (laughs) Excellent. I need to read more Norse mythology. Yes, Neil Gaiman did a really good book of Norse myths a few years ago. The audiobook of that is well worth a listen. Mm Mm-hmm. Big you, Neil Gaiman, Good Omen Season 2. Yes. As our resident Pratchett fan, what are your thoughts? It is interesting. I read Neil Gaiman's blog talking about how, uh, I think it was one night at a, a convention, he and Terry Pratchett, as struggling authors at the time, were sharing a hotel room and they couldn't get to sleep because of jet lag and started thinking of all sorts of different ideas of what they could do with Good Omens for various reasons of being busy. It never happened as a book but the idea still existed and they used some of them in the first season. It's got approval from all the right people. Pratchett's estate are in favour of it. Gaiman is involved, show running it. David Tennant and Michael Sheen are back. I enjoyed the first season and hopefully season two will be good as well. It can't be worse than The Watch. Speak not of this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the terrible supposed Pratchett-based thing, which has almost nothing in common, it seems. It just misses the point on every possible count, doesn't it? I wouldn't know. (laughs) Have you not watched any of it? No, I I saw the trailer and the idea of doing a series based on those books, it's a really great idea. There are fantastic things in all of those books. And as far as Pratchett's style goes, they're not too magic heavy. They're not too fantasy. They're something you could make a really decent series out of. What this series has done has grabbed some character names and made a completely different show, but is using Discworld to try and get people to watch it. I'm not against adaptations taking liberties with source material and refitting it to a different medium. You've got to do that stuff. But this just seems so far removed 
not just from the characters and the stories and the plots and the dialogue, but the point and the themes that the Watch books are about. If they'd given all the characters different names, it might have been a not great, but watchable, weird fantasy cop show. But as somebody who has probably read more words of Pratchett than any other author, and for how much those words have meant to me over years and years and years, I'm not going anywhere near it. Probably quite right. Good decision. But for anyone that would like to avoid the watch, it's on BBC iPlayer, so maybe give that a wide berth for a year or two. What, just in case you accidentally see it? all of iPlayer. Yeah, just to be safe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now it's time for Film Before Film Bluff, in which each of our lovely people have brought with them three film facts. Only one of them is absolute bullshit. Can the rest of us identify which is real and which is not? So who would like to go first today? I'll go first. Crispin Glover is best known for his breakthrough role as George McFly in Back to the Future, notably not in Back to the Future 2. Since then, he's gained a reputation for playing somewhat eccentric characters in things like Charlie's Angels, Hot Tub Time Machine and American Gods. Uh, He's aided in this pursuit by being a bit eccentric himself in real life. So here are two facts and one alternative fact about the life of Crispin Hellion Glover. Number one, Glover was raised in an apocalypse cult. When he was eight years old, his parents joined a movement named the Brothers of the Golden Glory, a religious sect that operated a closed farming community in rural Iowa. Led by a charismatic leader known as the Shepherd, the followers believed that the end of the world was imminent and the best hope of entering heaven was to shun modern society and technology in order to live in a way that they considered biblical. Glover ran away from the cult at the age of 15 and even provided information to the FBI about a stockpile of weapons being kept on the compound. Number two, Glover owns a 17th century chateau in Conorovice in the Czech Republic. The 20-acre estate is considered of historical importance by the Czech government and was at one time a communist medical testing facility where studies were conducted on smallpox and other diseases. In between being a biohazard research site and Glover's home slash film production (laughs) studio, there was one other owner who disappeared under mysterious circumstances and was never found. And number three, Glover is not only an actor, and has tried his hand at several other pursuits, including music. In 1989, he released an album entitled The Big Problem Does Not Equal the Solution. The Solution Equals Let It Be, which featured a bizarre cover of These Boots Are Made For Walking, and my personal favourite, an original song named Clowny Clown Clown. (laughs) It's about a clown. From what I've heard about Crisp and Glover, they all sound Hmm. plausible. That first one does sound familiar. I'm not sure if it was him I've heard the story about, but I've definitely heard the story for someone. Yeah. How do you go from growing up in an apocalypse cult to thinking, I'll become an actor? To be honest, I mean, I found out some stuff about Crispin Glover's life and I decided not to delve too much deeper. Does he live in his Czech castle all the time? Uh, not all the time, no. He also has um, a place in somewhere in California. Did you say there was a studio in it as well? Yeah, he bought the uh, Czech chateau, A, because both of his parents have Czech ancestry and he wanted to investigate that, and also because he thought it was a good place to build some permanent sets and uh, produce a couple of films of his own. His own films are unusual, to say the least. I've not seen any, but I can confirm this is true. I think I've heard the first one, but I don't know if I've heard it in relation to Crispin Glover. 
but it would explain a lot. <laughs> it would. Could you sing us a little bit of Clowny Clown Clown? I've got some lyrics. I will read them to you. I don't think I'm uh, capable of, of singing them with the appropriate majesty. I was walking on the ground. I didn't make a sound. Then I turned around and I saw a clown. It had a frown, stood on a mound, started barking like a hound. <laughs> Clowny clown clown. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you have a bit of argument than that on this side. I don't think that's made up. <laughs> I'm going to go for the middle one being the bluff. The Czech um, smallpox chateau. Yeah. I'm going to go for the third one, the uh, album with the title that seems ridiculously long. The big problem does not equal the solution. The solution equals let it be. And just to cover our bases, I will go with Apocalypse Cult. Excellent. Um, well, Dan has it. The Apocalypse <gasps> Cult oh. was a big lie. Ah, oh. yay. So did that story come from someone else? Or? It just seemed like the kind of thing that fit. Um, <laughs> be- best I can tell, he had uh, normal, loving, um, wonderful parents and an, a normal childhood, and uh, no stage was uh, part of any kind of weird religious sect. What do we think of him as an actor? Unique. Mm, I don't, I've not really seen him in much other than Back to the Future. Yeah, I've seen him in American Gods and things. He's always very distinctive, hmm. but uh, I d- I'm not sure how versatile he is. Can I just recommend that absolutely everyone in the world gets onto YouTube and searches for Crispin Glover Clown Song and just <laughs> check out the music video for Clowny Clown Clown because it wow. is a, an, a work of demented genius. Um, it's it's creepy and entertaining and idiotic and and brilliant and awful at the same time. And I, I own the album. It's at my parents' house. Hazel will be glad to hear. Um, so I can't play it at her 24-7, but I, I've bought that CD. So that's not your wedding song, then? I'm looking forward to Hazel coming down the aisle to, if there was a, there was a clown, I turned around, it was on a mound. <laughs> it made a sound. Sadly, she vetoed that. But what can you do? Those of us that have improvised songs on stage... At some point, your mind panics and you desperately just think, well, I know something that rhymes with what I said two minutes ago. If I can get back to that rhyme, no matter how little said so, how, how banal it is, then I can get off stage. <laughs> that sounds like what Crispin Glover was doing there. Yep. Yeah. We at least have the excuse of we're making it up. Yeah. It was the fact that it sounded like you'd made it up in about two minutes was why, why I decided <laughs> that was a bluff. Yep. That's why I chose it. <laughs> Um, I can go next. Are we all aware of the lovely lady that was the late lamented Mary Whitehouse? <laughs> yeah. Old rat bag. No. Yes. She had a problem with Monty Python, didn't she? She had a problem with pretty much everything. And fun. And sex. And what was it? The National Viewers and Listeners Association, wasn't it? Yeah, she was the chairperson of the National Viewers and Listeners Association, which is now... Media Watch UK, she was a, a, a very, very religious lady who had a mind that, despite supposedly being an innocent daughter of Jesus, managed to find filth in absolutely everything and <laughs> would love to complain about it. I think you'd have been best mates, John. We'd have got on brilliantly. <laughs> um, so I have for you three complaints that Mary Whitehouse made. Okay. Two of which are real and one of which I have made up. Right. Excellent. So number one is Mary Whitehouse talking about Blue Peter. 
saying that whilst she noted the title Blue Peter was a reference to the flag on a ship, since Peter Purvis has joined the show, the phrase Blue Peter appears to have taken on a different meaning. She noticed Valerie Singleton's laughing and smiling at co-host Peter Purvis while saying Blue Peter and winking at him and on one occasion touching his knee. She suggests that even if that is intended to be light-hearted banter that would go over our children's heads, nonetheless it is sneering innuendo that will wheedle its way into an innocent child's subconscious where its malignancy will only grow. Mm. Blue oh, Peter. Was that your era of Blue Peter then? John. This was previous to that, wasn't it? I think it was like the early 70s of Peter Purvis and Valerie Singleton. Yeah, I saw it when they were still doing it. Mm-hmm. Though Valerie Singleton was then later um, revealed to be lesbian. Yes. So obviously there was no truth in that. Whatever Mary saw there. And sadly in those days that was enough to get you kicked off children's TV. Mm-hmm. Number two is Doctor Who. Now Mary Whitehouse hated Doctor Who, particularly the uh, the Tom Baker years. <laughs> She complained about an episode in which Doctor Who was apparently drowned in the deadly assassin. Here's some quotes from this. What finally persuaded me to complain was a story I heard from a young woman who lives nearby. During the week following the programme, her son of five said to her, apparently apropos of nothing in particular, Mummy, I know what to do with my younger brother when he makes me cross. I shall hold his head under the bathwater until he's still like the man did with Doctor Who. Wow. Hmm. And uh, finally, the song School's Out by Alice Cooper. <laughs> okay. I am writing to express the gravest concern over the publicity which has been given to Alice Cooper's record School's Out. For weeks now, Top of the Pops has given gratuitous publicity to a record which can only be described as anti-law and order. Because of this, millions of young people are now imbibing a philosophy of violence and anarchy This is surely utterly irresponsible in a social climate which grows ever more violent. It is our view that if there is increasing violence in the schools during the coming term, the BBC will not be able to evade their share of the blame. (laughs) Wow. Of all the Alice Cooper things to complain about. (laughs) The beheadings on stage, the snakes. I think I may have heard that one before. This is the weird thing about playing this game is it plays tricks on you. <laughs> so you can never be entirely sure. But my guess is that one's true. One of the other ones about a TV show is true. And then he's gone for a TV show from a similar age <laughs> to do his third one that he made up. The Doctor Who one sounds like something that would cause complaints. Yeah. I mean, you, you could imagine complaints like that happening now. 40 years yeah. on. There was a lot of complaints about that era of Doctor Who in the mid-Tom Baker years where it became kind of very gothic-y and horror and there was loads of complaints around that time. At least the Doctor wasn't a woman though, eh, lads? Uh, lads, eh, eh? eh? <laughs> Honestly. I'm prepared to believe that Doctor Who one because I think otherwise John wouldn't have risked doing an episode title because he might have thought we might have known it. Mm-hmm. And Blue Peter is a sort of surface gag based on just simply thinking about the name of the programme, which is another reason I think it's John's thought yeah. process going Actually, on Actually, now here. you point that out, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Would you like the actual exact quotes that Valerie Singleton said that caused the complaints? I'd love to hear them. Oh, you're a bit blue, aren't you, Peter? <laughs> I can't wait to see Blue Peter later. I don't think you're helping your case. And ooh, I wonder who Blue Peter. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah that definitely settles it for me number one 
Yeah, you went too far, John. Damn it. I, I was I was really struggling there. All very plausible until until you did that. So number one, yeah. Number one. <laughs> number one is the bluff. Yes, I I, I, I apologise for overplaying my hand. <laughs> Would you like the rest of the um, Doctor Who quote? Oh yes, sure. please. Doctor Who has turned into tea time brutality for tots. My personal reaction to the sight of the Doctor being viciously throttled underwater is unimportant. What's important is the effect of such material upon the very young children still likely to be watching. Strangulation by hand, by claw, by obscene vegetable matter is the latest gimmick. Sufficiently close up so they get the point. And just for a little variety, show the children how to make a Molotov cocktail. Wow. Wow. So one of the weirder things about Mary Whitehouse, they were saying various things were corrupting. They wouldn't go and see the thing concerned because otherwise people could use the argument that they'd seen it. If it didn't corrupt them, it wouldn't corrupt people. They'd go just based on reports of what people had told them. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. of course, a lot of the time it would have been broadcast once and that was it, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Not much by way of repeats or anything like that. Every Dennis Potter player had to be banned. Pinky and Perky tried to get banned. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was accused of using his guitar like a body of a woman and masturbating on her neck. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Amongst various other ones. Um, I should give credit here to an excellent book where I got these from, which is Ban This Filth, Letters from the Mary Whitehouse Archive, edited by Ben Thompson, which is a book where he had access to the Mary Whitehouse Archive and has taken a lot of her letters and back and forth correspondence and then put them in context of what was going on socially and politically at the time. And it's a really, really good read if you're all interested in that kind of thing. And then there were like two ways that her name got used in popular culture. One was the Mary Whitehouse Experience, mm-hmm. the comedy show. And the other was someone who named a porn magazine Whitehouse. Oh, I did, I did not know about that one. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah, in the 70s. So I'm sure she'd have loved that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I have a buffle bluff for us about studio idents. Movies often like to set the tone of a film right from the start with a custom version of the studio logo to match the theme. For example, Scott Pilgrim starts with an 8-bit graphic of the Universal logo and a chip-tuned version of the music. Raiders of the Lost Ark fades from the mountain in the Paramount logo to a matching shot of a mountain in the jungle. And The Incredibles 2 re-renders the entire Disney train and castle logo in a red and black spiky Incredibles art style. So I have three examples of custom logos at the start of movies. Can you tell the studio from the sus studio? (laughs) I apologise for that joke. Is that Phil Collins gag there? It was. (laughs) Divorced his wife by fax. Very good in Paddington though. (laughs) Okay, number one. For the 2010 Piranha remake, they filled up the Dimension logo screen with water. Then a fish swims through the O and snaps at the viewer. This was quite effective because it was originally released in 3D. Speaking of Piranha, number two. Original Piranha director Joe Dante's The Burbs starts with the standard Universal Pictures globe spinning away, then does a rapid zoom in from the vastness of space to the small suburban cul-de-sac where the movie is set. And number three. The slightly unnecessary sequel Zombieland Double Tap has the Columbia Torch Lady spring to life and brutally beat off two zombies with her torch. Mm, and yes, sorry. I chose the word beat off intentionally. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, we've beaten off a zombie. Is Aww. Occasionally just left holding a penis. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not for the first time. No. <laughs> Mary Whitehouse would not enjoy this podcast. <laughs> so I've seen all three of these films fairly recently. <laughs> of course you have. And I still don't know. I, I definitely know one of them. Which one? Or do you only think you remember it? Oh, I, de- I definitely remember it. Yeah, I think I've seen that Piranha one. Is David Hasselhoff in that? Uh, he's in one of them. He's in the sequel. Yeah. He's in the sequel, right. Maybe I haven't seen that. The sequel's called Piranha 3 D, and that's the level of nonsense in it. It is. Mm. The yeah. first one, though, the first Piranha 3 D, the 2010 one, is actually a really good fun film. It's ridiculous, but if you want to see 3 D pushed to its like limits like it was in like the early 80s horror films, you know, every single thing points at the camera or jiggles at the camera. And it, it's, it's quite entertaining just on that level alone. The other weird thing is it starts with a cameo played by Richard Dreyfus mm-hmm. in a fishing boat at the beginning and get, then gets attacked by the piranhas. Drinking Amity beer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen the burbs and I can't recall the universal ident zoomy thing at the start, but that seems like a, a Joe Dante-ish thing to do. Does Men in Black not do that? Has a massive zoom in. It's got a massive zoom out at the end. Waterworld has a similar start because that, uh, that's the Universal logo and then it zooms in on the polar ice caps which melt and the water level rises. I feel like I've seen that one that you've described there but I've not seen the burbs so I reckon you might have taken that from another film but I could just be imagining it. I don't trust my own mind in this game. Watched Zombieland 2 a couple of years ago and that, that does sound familiar but... The film made very little impression, mm. so I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about that either. That's the one that I definitely remember. I think it's the burbs then. Yeah. Yeah, I just, um, the, the only thing with the piranha thing is, do, will, would the film shoot its load, so to speak, with the 3D piranha effects in the opening title? I'm literally looking at a copy of the film on Blu-ray across my room, so if I could distract you slightly for 30 seconds <laughs> I could, I could do. But 2010 was just as the post-Avatar generation of 3D films yeah. were coming in, and I feel like they did try and 3Dify everything they possibly could. Mm. One of my favourite of these change studio things, as well as the Scott Pilgrim one, was the Simpsons movie, which had the 20th Century Fox one, but instead of the fanfare, it had Ralph Wiggum singing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Alien 3 has quite a weird version of the Fox fanfare as well. Mm. It's perfectly normal, except that the second last note, it holds it and goes and sort of like does like a slide down into a big bass creepy note just to kind of wrong foot you. That Indiana Jones fan film did the Paramount thing, but with a molehill and a little CG gopher popped out afterwards. That was good, (laughs) wasn't it, everyone? Mm. All of the um, Indiana Jones films do that kind of dissolve from the Paramount logo. The second one dissolves into a shot of uh, a gong in the club and there's a mountain on the mm. gong and the third one, there's uh, just a, a mountain in the, uh, in, in the desert. What's the new one going to be? Uh, disappointing, probably. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so um, the Paramount logo with the Raiders thing, I've never checked this. Is it the standard Paramount logo? That the, and is it a real mountain that they went that matched or did they change the shape of the mountain so that when it dissolves, it goes to the right mountain? I think it was a real mountain. It's not a perfect match either. No. No. Because I had a look at it yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's not like pixel for pixel matched. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't remember that Piranha 3D one. But Dan reckons he does. I 
I don't even know if I've seen the film. It just seems like something a film called Piranha 3D would do. I don't think it is because I think it's got the quiet opening with Richard Dreyfus. Maybe the sequel does. Maybe 3D D does. And I do remember that zooming in on a globe thing, but I don't remember whether it's the burbs or whether I'm getting that mixed up in my head with Men in Black. I'm going to go Piranha 3D. I'm going to go for the burbs. I think that you have taken that from another film that I have seen and applied it to a film that I haven't. I will also burbs. Okay. The winner this time is John. Oh. Oh. That's the one I made up. And I then had to go and watch both films to make sure they didn't actually do it. In my own head, it seemed so obvious that's the thing you would do. Mm -hmm. But I had to go and check that I hadn't actually seen it happen. John's right as well with his logic that it goes quite quickly to a thing where the piranhas attack. Mm -hmm. If it had been a thing where the movie had like 20 minutes before the piranhas actually showed up, that would make more sense than where it is in that film. Mm -hmm. Because the piranhas, as it is, attack about four or five minutes in. There's a bit where a piranha burps out a penis at the screen and you get to see the the severed penis floating towards you in 3D. Oh, lovely. That's your second severed penis reference of the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Contacting Mary Whitehouse's (laughs) ghost. (laughs) Men in Black 2 does start with a Columbia torch lady who holds a neuralizer and then she does like the flash at you to wipe Mm -hmm. your brain so you don't remember ever seeing that sequel. Oh, if only that worked. (laughs) Uh, What sequel? Exactly. (laughs) I watched Men in Black International recently. Oh, Oh, are you okay? It did make me realise that there have now been three disappointing Men in Black films and one good one. Mm -hmm. I actually quite liked some of the third one, where he goes back in time and meets his early version. It was better than the second one, at least. I don't think I've ever seen the third one. Am I right? There's not much Tommy Lee Jones in it. He's like that's that, right. That yeah. yeah, you're correct. Yeah, he's Josh Brolin mm-hmm. for most of the film. That's the best of the three sequels. The other weird intro thing is the curious case of Benjamin Button. Starts with the Warner Brothers logo on a load of buttons, and then a load more are dumped on it that turn into the Paramount logo, which is the most literal mm-hmm. thing to have done for a logo. It's very strange. They should have started mm. it with the end credits. <laughs> it's not a big button theme during the film, is it? It's just, it's, it's called Benjamin Button. It is yeah? his name, that's the only reason. It's like having a film called The Cure's Case of Peter Johnson, starting it with a load of severed penises. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your third severed penis strike. You're out. There's no way that's going in. <laughs> well, not if it's severed, Peter. Oh, true. <laughs> well, I mean, it's getting it out again, that's a problem. <laughs> Your coffin, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of the episode. Shall I bring us home? Please help us, Dan. Dan, what have you got for us? Well, I've got three facts about the animated spin-offs of films you wouldn't expect to have got animated spin-offs. Oh, this is my wheelhouse. Mm. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. <laughs> so you could get this one straight away, but all three of these, I'm sure were excellent. And I got the true ones from Rotten Tomatoes. So, number one, Rambo, The Force of Freedom, is an animated spin-off that sees Rambo and his team fighting an evil group called Savage, which is S-A-V-A-G-E. Don't ask me what it stands for. He doesn't kill anyone, and the Vietnam War is never mentioned, but it lasted 65 episodes. Hmm. Number two, Big, the animated series, takes the premise of the Tom Hanks film 
and stretches it out to two seasons of adventures where a gang of kids use Zoltar's powers to become grown-ups and fight pollution and various criminals. Hmm. And number three, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, is full of the slapstick and toilet humour you'd expect from a cartoon based on a Jim Carrey film. It had Seth MacFarlane among the writers, and it even did a crossover episode with the animated spin-off of The Mask. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I've seen that episode. I'm going to withdraw because I know the answer. I will let the others. I know which one I think it is. Um, Rambo, it sounds stupid, but I'm prepared to believe it in just the same way as Robocop can become a children's character. And it seems just stupid and nonsensical, but yes, they did do that sort of thing. Big, I'm not sure if there's enough mileage or link to the film. Ace Ventura, I can see. Big is the one, I think. It's the dinosaur in the room. I watched the Ace Ventura show and The Mask, and I saw the crossover episode, so I'm certain that one's right. Um, And the other two, I don't really have a clue about. I could see them trying to make Rambo into a a kid's thing, because guns, pew, 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 explosions, it's, yeah. Um, Mm. Big, uh, I don't know. Um, I just don't know. Uh, I'm going to go for Big. And John already knows the answer. And you're all correct. I made, hey. I made the big one up. I imagined it as a kind of Captain Planet Power Rangers style gang of kids mm. get some powers sort of thing. That doesn't really match the movie. Well, I don't think the Rambo animated series really matched the movie very much. Um, the Rambo animated series got in trouble because they had like a really, really terrible like Arab stereotype that they released as a toy. Mm. Whilst they never mentioned the Vietnam War, there was a lot of dodgy Middle East imagery and stuff going on in there. So I think there was a big controversy. Like Peter mentioned Robocop, there was Rambo and all kinds of things that were R-rated films. Police Academy got a couple of series for oh, a, yeah. a kid's show. Police Academy got a cartoon series and a live action series. But the thing with Police Academy is by the time you get to Police Academy 4 onwards they become essentially kid movies so the first couple of police academies are quite risque but by the time you got to like citizen patrol and hawaii beach and stuff they kind of retooled themselves as pg kid friendly does police academy follow the hellraiser rule of number five's the best one no and as we all know the best animated spin-off from a film is of course the real ghostbusters you know i really liked bill and ted Oh, yeah. Was it the, the, the first season where they had Keanu and Alex doing the voices. Very catchy theme tune, yes. I seem to remember. Bill and Ted's excellent adventures. Adventure. The most amazing, bedacious team. They'll stay together. Friends forever. Until the second series arrives. <laughs> um, did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon come before or after the live action films? Before. Oh, well, before. I knew it as a cartoon long before I knew it as a film. So. Yeah. No, it was it was big as a cartoon a long time mm. before the movie. I knew big was a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so which 80s film would you turn into a cartoon that hasn't already had Hellraiser. it? Hellraiser. Uh, oh, for goodness sake, John. <laughs> I thought I'd asked a lovely open-ended question. <laughs> Not for long. Don't open the box, don't open the box. Here comes Peter, don't open the box. (laughs) And it's like a few kids who open it and have adventures and then get pulled apart by chains. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, and we've got one final treat for you this episode. Treat being a, a word we will use advisedly depending on the content of the next segment. But Peter, you have a special quiz for us. <laughs> I do. This is a quiz about sci-fi movies about memories. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is see if you can remember which movies they're describing. Rather than people buzz in, because I think most of them are quite easy. And I know for a fact John will probably buzz in after a couple of words of each one. <laughs> so we're going to take it in turns in terms of who answers. So we'll go John, then Andy, then Dan. How many questions do you have, Peter? I have ten. So the last one can be a decider. And we'll let you say the full thing before we answer. Yes. Okay. This format is going to reveal my ignorance, because if it was a buzzing thing, I could just pretend that, oh, I was just half a second behind you, everything. Yeah. Damn. Well, we'll see. I don't, I don't think they're that hard. Yeah. Okay, so the first one's for John. Uh, and this is it's kind of a description, if you imagine, like, back-of-the-box blurb for the movie. Can't afford a holiday? Don't worry, we'll give you just the memory of it instead. It'll be so convincing you'll feel every last detail of the experience. Said Tuttle Recall. It is. Number two, which is for Andy. Had a bad breakup. The best way to get over the pain of losing your one true love is simply erase them from your brain. You can't miss what you don't remember. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. It is. I knew this was going to go quickly. (laughs) Uh, Dan. That guy I saw at the airport sure looks awful familiar, though he's older than I remember. I know, I know. <laughs> I do you would. I I don't. The terminal. This is a tricky one though. <laughs> Unless you know the film fairly well. Andy, do you know? Uh no. Okay, John. Is it twelve monkeys? It is, yes. Mm. So it's all about time travel and stuff, and there's a bit where uh, he realises the person he saw at the airport was actually his future self running through the airport. Have seen it, wouldn't have got that. Okay. (laughs) All right, uh, this one's for John again. Every night, a team of creepy aliens come and tamper with your memories, and for some reason it's always night. You know what? I don't actually know. Let me think. Nope, I'm going to have to pass on that one. Do you want some clues? Let's have some clues, yeah. I didn't get any clues. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> Andy was looking like he didn't know the answer and I can't see you at the moment. Dan, would you like to guess? No, I've got no idea. I Go ahead so. with the clues. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. It's directed by Alex Proyas, who directed The Crow. Oh, um, Dark City. It is. Yes. yes. And do you agree with the clue now? Yes. Things he took issue with the last one. Okay, the next one is for Andy. In a world where animals are too expensive for normal people to own, memories of a false childhood are implanted to help make androids feel and act more realistically. Is it AI artificial intelligence? Nope. Oh. Uh, anyone else? I know, but if Daniel would like to have a guess. Robo dog. No. <laughs> John. Um, Blade Runner. Yes. Oh. Okay. This one may be a little bit trickier. This one's for Dan. A stage magician has a trick up his sleeve. He can see the future, but only two minutes into the future. Two minutes. Oh, this is the Nicolas Cage film I watched from John Sacker Fun, um, <laughs> which I think was called Next. It is, yes, yes. Well done. Thank you. Oh, I'm so glad I was forced to watch that, John. <laughs> I, I told you it would be worthwhile eventually. It's paid off in the end. 
Okay, uh, John. A thief who steals secrets from people's minds is tasked with planting thoughts into the mind of a chief executive. But where does reality end and dreams begin? I, and, yeah, it's, um, um, I, I, I know it, but I just got the... I had a little block on the name. It's an in, but it's not interstellar. It's Inception. Ah, <laughs> yes. They were getting so excited because they thought they could uh, <laughs> score one off you there. Nah. Okay, uh, Andy. A man has short-term memory loss, so every 15 minutes or so he forgets what just happened. He has to leave notes to himself, which he may or may not be able to trust. Uh, it's uh, another Christopher Nolan one. It's Memento. It is. Yes, well done. Not seen it. I think you'd enjoy it, Andy. It's a great film. Really good. I, I like almost all of these films apart from two of them. <laughs> okay, Dan, last one for you. A detective arrests people for crimes they haven't committed yet, based on future memories experienced by three psychic humans. One day he's accused of murdering someone he hasn't met, and he discovers that sometimes the memories of the three psychics differ. That's Minority Report. It is. Yay. Yay. Well done. All right, so this time you can buzz in on the last one, probably because it's one the hardest. So let's see who knows it. Um, an engineer who reverse engineers technology for his clients has his brain wiped regularly to protect their commercial secrets. After a three-year assignment, he wakes to find he gave away his million-dollar pay packet and is only left with a random collection of items from which he has to piece together what happened. And again, this is a Philip K. Dick story, like about half of mm -hmm. these. Buzz. Is this the Adjustment Bureau? No. Nope. Which I have seen, but remember nothing about. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. Something to do with hats. Yes, there were hats. It stars Uma Thurman and Ben Affleck. I know the film, but I've just gone blank on the title. It wasn't Paycheck, was it? It was yeah. Paycheck. Well done. Buzz. Paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by the rules of the buzz, Andy gets that point. Damn it. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Now you can forget the quiz ever happened. <laughs> oh, there's a flash of light. What's happened? That'll be you forgetting Men in Black 2. <laughs> okay. So, so, Peter, you've got a quiz for us next, is that right? <laughs> I have. Let's see if you get them this time. What do you mean this time? So that's almost it for another episode of the Nerdfest podcast. We've had some laughs, we've had some fun, and we'll see you all again in a couple of weeks. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would leave a message for us on social media and tell us all about it. And if you do, leave us a message, whether it be on Facebook, Twitter, Carrier Pigeon, um, Telegraph, Telegraph, Telegram? Both. Uh, both, yeah. Um, if you want to hire a plane and fly it over one of our houses with a message telling how much you enjoyed it, that would be great. And if you do any of those things, then Daniel, you will have a special treat for our listeners. Yes, Hazel and I will finally get together and begin our ultra-in-depth Hamilton podcast. 18 hours an episode. Uh multiple episodes for each song you'll have a fantastic time <laughs> and on that note <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was that just a shiver of terror I mean Andy has to live with Hazel so he has to be in the room where it happens which is even <laughs> I've just got to wait for it stop it the lot of you <laughs> never I'm non-stop <laughs>
Peter, just surrender to it. It's easier. <laughs> yeah, you, you're helpless. Um, <laughs> so just let me be satisfied. Yeah. Peter, if you had a choice, <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep going until John carries on with the with the. End. If you had a choice between listening to Hamble Pod episode one or watching Hellraiser five nine times, <laughs> both of which I assume will be a similar length. Now, Peter, do not throw away your shot here. Oh, it's got to be pinhead time. <laughs> that would be a great name for Hellraiser podcast. It's pinhead time. <laughs> Okay, so that's all we've got for you this episode. You have been listening to... A man who hopes they'll make a Predator animated series one day. Uh, A man who was walking on the ground, didn't make a sound, then turned around and saw a clown. (laughs) (laughs) A man who wishes he remembered something to say at the end. And the man Mary Whitehouse warned you about. (laughs) 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 Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye.